Sunday, Betfair Edge. Play both sides of the bet on Test Cricket. Back or lay markets. Only at Betfair. What's gambling really costing you? Welcome along to another edition of the Sunday Betfair Edge. Hope you're having a fantastic morning out there. Davey and Watson filling in this morning. And speaking of filling in, a man who's going to do more than that today, Tommy Haylock, having a well-earned break. I speak of Carl Kaldawi, who is joining the panel today. How are you, Carl? Welcome to the panel. Yeah, it's good to give Tommy Haylock a, a little break, and it's great to come here and chat with you this beautiful Sunday morning, Damo. I'm looking forward to getting into... A massive show. The highlights across sport and racing for the whole week. Uh, I, I bet a lot of punters out there have got bags under their eyes, staying up to watch the Ashes, Royal Ascot, yes. footy on the weekend, racing, the last group one of the season. Yeah, so it's been a massive week of sport and racing. Seems like the UK is a place to be, and there's a lot of late nights, I think. We've still got Wimbledon to come. That's the other thing as well. Wimbledon to come. It's that time of year where late nights are probably the norm for a lot of sporting fans, Carl. So it's funny. Every second person I know who can afford to go to England seems to be over there at the moment. I struggle to do it, Damo. I'm I'm, I'm a really bad uh, late-night watcher. Uh, it's different when you're at the pub or something. I can, I can hang on for dear life there. But when I'm at home watching the TV, I really, really struggle. Um, but some of the racing, obviously, there was an Australian interest on Tuesday – uh, with Cool and Gutter and, and Cannonball yep. running. They were a bit disappointing. Um, but then obviously the Ashes, that was so exciting. I actually thought it was over. Hose Australian have, uh, had won. Uh, probably went to bed at about 2, 2.30 in the morning and then woke up to all these incredible moves on the Betfair Exchange. Yeah, it was a, it was a thrilling uh, day five of that contest. Yeah, I think there were records broken in that respect as well, which we might get to a little bit later on. Of course, you can back or lay AFL markets exclusive to Betfair. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Well, just from a local point of view, I'd like to be a Melbourne Storm supporter this morning and not a West Coast Eagles supporter. Oh. That's probably the way to summarise what transpired yesterday. That was a debacle from West Coast. West Coast were very, very, very poor. Damo, uh, I, I, they broke so many records. Sydney obviously were fantastic, but, yeah, West Coast was simply Witch's House hats out there. First score of 200-plus by any side since Geelong in 2011. Sydney's third ever score of 200-plus and their second highest score of all time. Their previous two scores of 200-plus came in consecutive weeks back yes. in 1987. And one of them actually was against West Coast. A couple more easily. The Eagles' biggest defeat of all time, surpassing 142 points to Essendon in 1989. The real interesting one, which bodes quite badly for Adam Simpson, is it's their 14th loss by 100 points or more in the Eagles' history. Six of them have come in the last two years and four of them this year, Damo. So not looking good for the Eagles. They're not having uh, a good year at all. And this is the thing, a couple of those losses, including against Sydney, have been against teams outside the top eight. Yes, that's uh, yeah, quite, quite remarkable. They've... Um, I wouldn't say they put Carlton back into form, but <laughs> one of those was, was Carlton. City yep. obviously aren't going as well as they were last year, although their last three or four weeks have been not too bad. They're, they're starting to, to hit their straps a little bit. I think it, the question remains, uh, the, the AFL seasons are getting so taxing on players and the teams that end up playing late into finals are, are, are struggling a little bit. We know Geelong are struggling. 
Um, and, and Sydney obviously aren't, aren't going too well. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation anyway. We'll look ahead to today's action in local sport and also international sport a little bit later on in the program, but I want to throw out a question to you, and also to the listeners out there as well. 0433981116, your predictions for Nick Dacos from a disposal point of view. We're, we're going to get stuck into Nick Dacos uh, a little bit later, but keen to ask the, the viewers the question, and, and please get on, get on the SMS and, and let us know the question obviously is, will back or lay, will Nick Dacos hit 30 touches today? I've got some thoughts. I'm laying and I've got some arguments to, to support that. I don't think he's hitting 30-plus touches. We'll get into it a little bit later, but there's a man, two words, Ben Keys. I reckon he's going to stop Nick Dacos again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens later on today. It's a good matchup too, Collingwood versus Adelaide. Very salivating, and we're looking forward to that starting in a couple of hours' time. It's creeping up on us already. That's the thing. You know, one thing I'd like to lay. We may as well start the lay bid segment already. Let's go. And I know, I know, this has probably been discussed ad nauseum, but this bye weekend scenario, multiple bye weekends in the AFL. Why can't they just do what they used to do? Either have a weekend off, or you divide one round into two weeks so that you have one week off as a team at some point during the middle of the season. I Why think, can't it be as simple as that? I think the criticism of the week off in years gone by, because they did do that, was the fact that... Remember the split round in round 12? It was yeah. always a split round. Yeah, but it was bloody boring. Like, there was nothing... The AFL didn't do anything in that time to, to make the week exciting. So I think as long as the AFL have a plan for the bye week where there's no footy, where we can hero something else... Um, like, I know we always talk about the All-Star Mile weekend and some people get really grumpy about the fact that AFL tries to copy, you know, American sports. But, yeah, their template works. Um, and I think American sports, more than anything, sell entertainment to try and make money. Um, I'm not saying that we should sell out, but there's obviously some inspo that we could probably push towards to, to help make a more entertaining buy round. I mean... Instead of having a boring buy-round name, like let's call it something cool, All-Star Mile Weekend, All-Star Mile, All-Star, <laughs> All-Star uh, yeah, Footy Weekend, whatever it is, um, and yeah, go from there. Yeah, but it's hard, isn't it? Because you can't predict what's going to happen and some matches might end up being effectively or ostensibly a dead rubber by yeah. the time we get to the middle of the season. Yeah, that's right. And usually by the the, the mid part of the season, the, the top eight is locked. I don't know, can, can we be creative and, and figure out something, maybe a double points round? Who knows? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if anything does change moving forward. It's just the fact that it's spread across four weeks, I don't know. It just takes or saps the momentum out of the season a little bit. In my view, people might disagree. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Big fella off the SMS machine, morning gents. Have to put our Greensboro Hockey Club on the backboard after a great reunion yesterday and last night. Great to catch up with certain people after 30-odd years and relive some fond premiership memories. Well, I think that's really the main fun part of any premiership. It's not necessarily... I mean, the experience is great, but it's probably more appreciative for a lot of people out there when you have the reunions down the track. Oh, absolutely. And I haven't won too many premierships in my time of playing Division 7 local footy any, in the Razzies. Any worthy of a reunion down the track? I, I, I did win a Razzies premiership, an under-19s premiership back in the day for the mighty old Zavs, and then my Razzies premiership was with the Ivano Amateur Football Club. I, I, I think when your football club wins it, whether you're part of it or not. I think Ivanhoe last year, my club, uh, won their first premiership since, you know, 1960s or or something like that, their senior flag. Um, And that was an incredible celebration. It it, it made news headlines. It was so much fun. Um, I didn't, I wasn't part of that performance. I was, I was a 
coach of the the reserves team. But going back to that Greensboro um, text message, it's still like that that grassroots feeling and that that winning feeling of, of winning a premiership, especially for your club with all the volunteers that put in so much effort. It's, yeah, it's very, very special, very similar to um, you know y- your team winning in the AFL or, or whatever it is. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, going down the track as well with the years to come uh, as to whether things get tempered down a little bit when it comes to reunions. Now, you mentioned before about staying up late. What's your absolute peak point? Do you have a peak point in which you stay up and then you just have to go to sleep or would you just caress through? Oh, it depends what's what's happening, I suppose. I think you'd really push through if, if it was getting really exciting. I mean, if you put the, the last, say... Oh, 10 overs before Australia end up winning, uh, uh, beating the, the run chase uh, in the last day of the Ashes. If you if you move that to one, I'm staying up till two to, to finish off there. But um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts there? I'm, I, I'm a bit of a, a, a grandpa in that in that position. <laughs> I'm a bit of a night owl. I'm probably the contrast. <laughs> I stayed up a lot last night, actually, until probably about two or three in the morning, flicking between the women's Ashes and, of course, Royal Ascot. Good coverage of both, actually. And, yeah, it was fantastic to have that ability to do it. That's a good thing about racing. You just flick between the races to something else if something happens. Did you? Yeah. Were you having a bet at Royal Ascot? No, well, I was I was lively, but not that lively. <laughs> and I wasn't confident. It was so hard to pick a winner throughout the week, not just last night. Oh, it, it was, it's been an incredible week for actually lay punters because a lot of short price favourites are, are getting up and that's the beauty of the Betfair exchange. But even last night, the, the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes, obviously we saw Artorias, uh, the astrologist and cannonball in that race, cut M won it at a monster BSP price of $140, which wow. absolutely trumped uh, the, the the corporate prices. It was about 80 wasn't it? Around that around yeah. that 80 mark. And that, you're always going to get that on, on the Betfair Exchange. The, the roughies always have massive uh, massive BSP prices and always trump um, yeah trump the, the corporate price. The, the biggest one for Royal Ascot, which is absolutely incredible, probably one of, one of the bigger ones I've seen, but uh, Valiant Force jumped at a BSP of a staggering $488. That is absolutely crazy. You see all the corps making a, you know, a, a big song and dance about the fact that, that the price was massive and they're, they're quoting 150 to 1, 200 to 1. Can we talk about the price at Betfair? It was $488. That is absolutely crazy. There was, uh, and there was plenty of money matched at, at that price. So, um, yeah. Crazy odds on the Betfair Exchange for Ruffies. It's the place to bet if you want to back them. Would you, in all consciousness, have actually tipped multiple winners throughout the week? I don't think many would. No, even definitely not. I mean, I, I not not so much. Uh, I, I don't do too much form for horse racing. I, I just love the the emotion of the game. Um, you know, I, lo- I love following the stories. The, the pageantry the of Royal Ascot, how about that? I mean, um, they, they still turn out in force of the top hats absolutely. and everything. Um, it, it just looks like something that you have to put on your bucket list. But, yeah, in terms of tipping winners, no chance. I mean, even last night there were seven races and the only two of them had a BSP of less than $4, which the the rest of them were rounded out. Thirteen eighty-eight, thirty-four dollars 34 $140, Cardem, as I said before, $30. And twenty five dollars. So it's it's obviously very hard to to pick a winner, especially in those thirty horse races. You're always going to get a massive BSP. So 
Um, maybe if you spread your money around, you, you, you could have a little bit of luck and you know, I suppose you can only do that on the bet for exchange. Now, it's interesting, just before we head to a break, Carl, I watched pile drivers win overnight. PJ McDonald getting his first winner at Royal Ascot. He was very emotional, but it was an interesting ride and I think it highlights the differences between probably the attitudes or the conservative nature maybe that we have towards riders who cut across the path of other horses. That was probably the case with PJ McDonald on pile driver down the straight, and yet it seemed like a bit of a frivolous stewards inquiry. He wasn't really punished in any way, shape, or form. I think the attitudes are a little bit different. I think in Australia, it would have been, I don't think it affected the result of the race necessarily, but I think ultimately there would have been greater, I guess, deterrence in regards to that type of riding and also maybe a greater punishment as well in terms of time on the sidelines. Yeah, I. I think you're spot on there. It wouldn't have impacted the result of the race, but it was quite a dangerous action. I wouldn't put it down to that happening on purpose by the jockey McDonald, who got his first win at Royal Ascot. You know, well well done to him. Um, but I think the horse obviously laid into the rail. Um, I watched the replay with you a couple of times off off air. Like, it wouldn't have impacted the result of the race, but it's still quite a dangerous act. Um, and... It, the worst case scenario is will be pretty bad, but the fact that we didn't get the worst case scenario, do we just turn away and and, and forget about it? I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting conversation. All right, we might take a break. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. This one from Andrew in Sydney. I want to lay Tommy Haylock, who a few weeks ago questioned whether Pat Cummins was in Australia's best four bowlers in English conditions. Ridiculous <laughs> suggestion then, and now sounds like sounds like insanity. I mean, he was brilliant, particularly in the second innings with the ball, and then obviously his exploits with the bat will go down into cricketing folklore, won't it? Yeah, and also his social media uh, antics. Uh, he he, the Barmy Army said happy birthday to him, and they posted a picture of. Uh, some English English triumph, and he posted a picture back with him uh, celebrating as he hit the winning runs um, in that in that uh, first test. So well done, Paddy Cummins. Good on and off the field. Now, just before we do head to the break, we should acknowledge the passing of Peter Burton's. It was announced earlier this morning. Group 1 jockey, aged 58 after a long battle with illness. He was diagnosed with inoperable pancreatic cancer in 2020. He rode more than 2,000 winners in Victoria and South Australia. Had a Group 1 win in 1999 aboard Rustic Dream. Uh, he had a couple of great wins, including a 2008 Australia Cup win to his name as well. Very popular racing figure. Of course, he is survived by his wife and six children, including jockey Bo Mertens as well. So we do send our deepest condolences to his family and our deepest sympathies as well to those who knew him. We'll take a break. You're listening to the Betfair Edge. We'll discuss maybe a bit more footy and cricket and also a bit of NRL as well. The Melbourne Storm in great form. After this, 0433 98 11 16, the text in. Back or lay AFL Markets exclusive to Betfair. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Welcome back to the Sunday Betfair Edge. Damian Watson filling in here and Carl Kadawi also filling in, joining us in the studio from Betfair. Back or lay test cricket only at Betfair. What's gambling really costing you? Now, before we touch on all the sporting action from this weekend and what's to come, the lay bin. The lay bin. What's going in there? Can I just say the Sunday lay bin is is amazing, and I love I love uh, everyone's messages in and and stuff like that. I can't wait to to join in. I got a couple. Um, I just wanted to say I had a fantastic day yesterday. Yep. Uh, I, I went out on a, a country footy trip uh, that was very spontaneous, organised by my great mate Plugger Delmo. Um, but the odds were against us, okay. Delmo. 
Uh, 83% of regional trains were disrupted yes. uh, due to works. 10 of 12 regional lines were non-operational. It was very, very hard to get out to where uh, it, it, we went was Backers Marsh, um, a fantastic oval and, and well done to the Cobras. Um, they didn't get the win, but, yeah, they, they certainly put up a fight there. So it was a good good country footy game. We went to Flanagan's for a feed, something I recommend uh, you, you get out and do with your mates. But I have to put Metro in the, in the lay bin. Right. Uh, the, the, the train service was, yeah, was pretty awful yesterday and um, we really only had the option to go to, to Backers Marsh. It was awesome, but... Um, but, yeah, the Metro well, goes in the lobby. Well, it's interesting. I reckon St Kilda supporters are joining in that camp because they only had 28,000 on Friday night for St Kilda v Brisbane. And a lot of people off the text when I was asking on the night why was the crowd reasonably low considering St Kilda are still in the top eight, or they were certainly coming into the game against Brisbane and it was a crucial game for them, Spuds game, etc. And yet 28,000 turn up and a lot of people mm. said, well, half the train lines were closed. Yeah, that's right. And... Look, I, I mean, we can keep on going. The fact that Metro lifted their prices to, to, to yeah, $10. But every, every man and his dog is lifting their prices at the moment <laughs> with cost of living, don't worry. It's true, but I don't understand the fact that it, it cost me the same amount to get to Backers Marsh yesterday than it does for me to get to my office in the city from, from Brunswick. It's about 20 stops on the 19 tram. Uh, a great tram, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's not that good for $10 a day, mm. so... Yeah, my, my lay bin. Um, did you have any, any oh, lay bins? I'd have to put West Coast in there. We'll touch on it a little bit later on, but they were like witches' hats. I mean, some stages, the body language suggested that a lot of the players were walking in that last quarter. Yeah, geez, it's, it, it, it's hard to watch in the end. I mean, they were down by 56 points at quarter time. How, how could it ever go up from there? Sydney were just piling on goals at will. I think yeah, tough work. I think it's exacerbated by the fact, though, Carl, that we don't have a lot of matches in this modern era where scores like they are kicked. You know, it's a bit different back in the 1980s. You mentioned Sydney for two out of three weeks in that stretch in 1987 scored over 200 points and got 198 in the third week, I think, against Richmond on a Friday night. That was back in 87, a little bit of a different era, different time, maybe a little bit more attacking as well. And as you mentioned, this was the first, last night was the first match in which a side has registered more than 200 points since 2011, Geelong v Melbourne, of course. It's a greater rarity to have that amount of cumulative scoring and therefore it exacerbates the problem. It makes it even worse than what it actually is. So the last one on that is the Eagles currently hold the worst percentage of any side beyond the halfway point of a season since the Second World War. This is it. And this is inclusive of Fitzroy in 1996 <laughs> in their last year. I think yeah. Fitzroy's percentage was about 51 midway through 96 when it was announced that they were going to merge. They had that one win against Fremantle that year. West mm -hmm. Coast, of course, have the one win to their name this season, but they have a worse percentage of about 47 at the moment. Tough being a West Coast Eagles supporter, and it wasn't that long ago that they were, they were winning grand finals. Um, yep. they, they won one in... What, 2018. 2018. So beat Collingwood that year. Look, I've got another one. Uh, it was a bad beat at Randwick yesterday in the last... I hope I pronounce this right, Exolitis. Uh, there was yep. almost a thousand matched on the So You Think outing at a dollar oh one got pipped. It loomed up, um, but a dollar oh one represents a, a very decent probability of winning. Look, a, a small lay bin. I, I get uh, you know race callers can make mistakes, but uh, the caller said Exolitis has got it in. Uh, it has got it by the looks of it at about the two hundred meter mark, or maybe a bit less. And then said went on past Stonecoat, um, and those 
comments might have been a bit misleading to punters betting in play. But punters can see what they can see at the end of the day. It's it's different to the radio era, for instance. Well, I mean, you make a really good point, Damo, and uh, I'm actually going to bring up the radio because still a lot of people are looking to to bet in play off the quickest feed. Um, when they're betting from listening to the radio, they're, they're obviously getting a quicker feed than listening, uh, sorry, watching on, on telly. So... Um, the the people on the radio really need to trust the race callers, um, you know, to to bet with confidence. And obviously, um, yeah, that one sort of goes through the keeper a little bit. But everyone makes mistakes. No issues for me. But um, yeah, probably wasn't wasn't one of the best calls. All right. Just before we enter the news, we had our last Group One of the racing season yesterday. The Tats Tiara, of course, and. It was interesting having a look at the crowd as well. I like the Queensland Winter Carnival, shall we say. It's been a big build-up, obviously, over the last few weeks, and this is sort of the crescendo to a certain extent. It feels like it goes forever, Dave, <laughs> to be honest. It, it, it really does go for a long time. And well done to Chris Munz, by the way. I remember him winning the 1998 Melbourne Cup as a jockey aboard Jezebel, and now he's making his mark as a trainer. That's right. Palazapan won the last group, one of the season, the 1,400-metre Tats Tiara, Kyle Wilson-Taylor also got his first Group 1 as a jockey. As he said, Chris Munts, his first Group 1 as a trainer. Um, it was brilliant, the ride by Kyle Wilson-Taylor. He was patient. Um, he waited. He didn't panic. Um, when the horse got clear air, um, Palazapan did the rest. Um, his post-race interview was so raw. I-, I love seeing that. It's part of why I love horse racing because there's so many stories, trainer stories, jockey stories, horse stories. Um, there was a trainer and and and, uh, and jockey stories here. He was so emotional, and it just goes to show you how much these wins uh, mean to those jockeys. So a big shout out to to Kyle Wilson Taylor. Well done, mate. Yeah, absolutely right. So fantastic way, I guess, a fitting way to end what has been a very interesting racing season and we look forward to the next and before you know it the spring carnival will crop up upon us i'm waiting for the spring carnival i can't wait let's just get through uh this winter um because it's yeah pretty pretty cold at the moment <laughs> well speaking of winter the winter sports of course dominating action in a domestic sense and we'll touch on the afl and nrl after this and have a look at some markets as well zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen to text in you're listening to the sunday betfair edge back or lay test cricket only at betfair what's gambling really costing you we'll head to the news and be back after this. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning wherever you may be listening across the country. Damian Watson and Carl Kaldawi with the Betfair Edge. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't want to be a West Coast Eagles supporter this morning, but you wouldn't mind being a Frio supporter, Carl. It was a good win from the Dockers against the Bombers, and they needed to atone, didn't they? They had that embarrassing loss to the Giants to the tune of 70 points last week, and they did so in front of their home fans. So a good form of atonement there against an opposition who's in the eight and effectively has confidence on their side as well. So a very good win from Fremantle, and you have a look now at the table and how it affects things. Fremantle now up to 10th position, and their only percentage, this is the thing, though, that's going to be against them. They probably have the worst percentage amongst that log jam in the middle of the table of the AFL, but they're a percentage behind the top eight now. Yeah, it was a great win from Fremantle. Their worm is is crazy. They started the season poorly, got that four wins in a row. Then mm. they lose to GWS when they, you know, if they kept their momentum going, they, they could have been a lock for the finals. They lose that, bit of pressure, um, come in the Frio Dockers way, and then they go out and beat an informed Essendon who are, who are playing great footy at the moment. 
Um, Caleb Sarong had another great game. The one I want to talk about is Liam Henry. What a game from him, 32 touches. Um, yeah, he he was brilliant. Luke Ryan is is just an absolute rock down there at defence and it's hard to get past him. He had 18 marks for the game. For Essendon, Zach Merritt, 29 touches. Andrew McGrath, he's having a great season, 27. Nick Martin, he's obviously a, a young player, continues to improve and progress for Essendon. Darcy Parrish on his return had 24 um, yeah, it was a it was a good performance by some of their better players, but obviously Fremantle got the chocolates in the end. And now Sydney, who looked for all buddy to effectively be missing the eight by the end of the season only a few weeks ago, they're now up to 12th on the table, but importantly, their percentage takes a very big increase, 113.3 at the present time, and only a game outside the eight, and they're matching it with those teams percentage-wise who are pushing for a top eight spot. So they're back in the contest all of a sudden. It's amazing with Sydney. We've seen this before. Remember, was it 2017 when they started off very poorly and then made a big run towards the finals that particular year, and obviously beat Essendon in the first week of the finals that year as well. It's amazing how that innate self-belief, which Collingwood seemed to have at the moment, can permeate around different clubs. Yeah, that's right, Sydney. Um, you, you can't count them out because I think John Longmire is just a fantastic coach and he knows how to get his team up and about. I'm having a look at the exchange odds now for top eight and you can uh, you can take Sydney at $5.10, which is actually Ooh. quite surprising. That's, that's You'd have to say at this stage if they're, they're close to the uh, the top eight and they're slowly getting into form, then that's probably overs around them. St Kilda, $1.79. Fremantle here is still two seventy six for the top eight. Um, they they would have probably firmed a little bit off their performance last night. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Probably looking at the odds there, $5.10 is, is a little bit overs. It's an interesting one, too, in regards to Sydney because do we get carried away potentially with the fact that they won by such a big margin, over 170 points, and think, well, you know, how much do we base off that given the calibre of their opposition wasn't all that great? Yeah, I think punters are obviously pretty reactive to what they see. Um, and, it look, it, it gives a, it makes it for a really good opportunity to trade um, if you think that if you thought that Sydney was going to have a big win against uh, West Coast, you, you probably could predict that their odds would shorten for the top eight, and you know that's where you can back them at a, a higher price and potentially lay them when they get a little bit shorter. If you're not even completely confident that they'll make the top eight, so um, look with these sort of things that happen with punters and, and the reactivity of the, the exchange, I think it also provides some some opportunities as well. We might get a premiership market from you if we can, because maybe a lot will rest on what happens today with Collingwood taking on Adelaide. The Pies coming into the game today, trailing Port Adelaide on the table by a game, but Collingwood obviously have the far superior percentage at 135, Port Adelaide on 119. We know the power in form, though. The Crows at the moment coming into the game today, they're clicking on to eight spot at the moment, and there's a bevy of sides below them looking to knock on the door. So we know about the importance. What's the situation in that sense? So Collingwood are on, on top of the, uh, the the premiership market at $3.90, Port Adelaide in behind at $4.50, Melbourne at 6 Dollars twenty follow them and Brisbane at six dollars eighty. The interesting ones are Geelong is still pretty solid at, at, at twelve dollars, but their form is just a bit all over the place um, as well. Obviously, a good win on Thursday night against the D's will probably um, shorten them a little bit. The Western Bulldogs, sort of another team that that you don't really know what you're going to get from them. Sometimes they're absolutely awesome, and we talk about them as premiership contenders and. You know, other times they could potentially miss the top eight. They're currently $25.
for the Premiership. Richmond's the other one that's hit some form under uh, Andrew McWalter. Um, they're at $40 to win the Premiership. Yes, we'll touch on the games today a little bit later on in the AFL. Just want to briefly speak about the NRL. The Melbourne Storm were fantastic. They were irresistible in the second half last night. Five unanswered tries, and they absolutely smashed Manly to make it three consecutive wins and three very, very convincing consecutive wins as well, just to insert their imprimatur at the moment. Pembroke are probably the yardstick, and they had a good win yesterday as well. But the Melbourne Storm may be starting to gain a little bit of traction and momentum because Craig Bellamy, Craig Bellamy as a coach, he's been there before, hasn't he? And he knows what's required from a coaching point of view to get the best out of his players. And they had an indifferent start to the season, the Melbourne Storm, but they're finding their mojo mid-season at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Penrith on, on top of the, the NRL premiership market at 375. Brisbane Broncos follow at 480. South Sydney Rabbitohs at 560. And the one you talk about, Melbourne Storm, uh, $8.40. So obviously a, a firm there. Um, after uh, another good performance. The only issue I have with the Brisbane Broncos is, and I've discussed this before, look, they deserve to be in the figuring. They're in second position on the table. We know the rich history they've had over the last 25 years in particular, but... To me, the question mark will be whether they can stand up to finals pressure or when there's a significant amount attached to a game that they're playing come the back end of the season. Because last year, look, they might have learnt the lessons of last year when they should have played finals and they lost two very, very winnable games in quite comprehensive style towards the back end of the home and away season, which costs them a final spot. So the Broncos will be looking to atone for that and they probably need, need to stand up to the pressure. I know they've lost matches which they shouldn't have early on in the season as well, but only four losses to their name. They've had a rather consistent season. So, yeah, the Panthers still the benchmark. They're on top of the table ahead of the Broncos and the Storm. They're probably the big three at the moment in the NRL. And I've got to say, the interest in the NRL, you look at the TV ratings, they're going gangbusters at the moment. And I know we had State of Origin, obviously, maybe a bit of an anti-climax given we're now heading into a dead rubber, but it's amazing the momentum that's building up there. And I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it? You mentioned some of the activity in regards to betting during the week with the cricket. What's it like in the NRL, particularly with State of Origin? I suppose it peters out a little bit when we get to a dead rubber. Now, there's certainly plenty of interest in, in the NRL markets, especially this year. We've definitely seen an increase. And the State of Origin games are just a, an absolute masterclass of entertainment to watch. Um, whether you like rugby or not, I'm, I'm not someone that um, is, is a massive watcher of league. I, I like to, to follow the storm when they're going really well, um, but I probably prefer to watch AFL. But in terms of the, the I suppose, the, oh, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, in terms of the uh, popularity of NRL on the exchange, yeah, it goes from strength to strength and, and yeah, the state of origin contest is, yeah, no different. Might get an update on the Ashes market heading into the second test. I think ultimately there was a significant amount of interest in the first test. The build-up was there and didn't it live up to the hype? A fantastic finish, as we've alluded to all week. While you do that, Carl, I'll just update the listeners with the scores for the women's Ashes test at the moment. So... Day three, the end of day three, stumps at Trent Bridge. England posted 463 in their first dig. Ten runs behind Australia's total of 473. But the Aussies probably have the upper hand at this point. None for 82 in their second innings. The likelihood is that it'll probably be a draw. It seems like it's been a bit of a batting wicket. Beth Moody and Phoebe Litchfield doing very well and providing some stability at the top of the order, as probably expected. So, yeah, the Australians are a masterclass when it comes to the women's team. There's no doubt about that. But what's happening in the men's market at the moment? So 
Obviously, the the second test, England versus Australia of the Ashes, is on Wednesday. Uh, it starts at eight o'clock. That's when the markets are going to go in play. England currently two seventy eight to win that game. Uh, Australia two eighteen, uh, slight favourites, and and the draw. Uh, you can back at five dollars thirty or, or lay it at five dollars forty. Plenty of money uh, in that market at the moment. We saw some awesome liquidity. There were some great stories from. Uh, the first test at the Ashes, and I'll, I'll bring up a couple of highlights. I mean, we we got to talk about the fact that Australia basically came from the death. They were 1950, and there was uh, over $1,300 matched at them above $10 when they were looking like they were going to lose uh, at the end of that day five. Um, but they came back and and, and obviously uh, soured uh, the first test for, for England fans and the Barmy Army. So, yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic uh, first test. $40 million was traded overall on the first test with a whopping $14 million in match bets on day five alone. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll certainly be absorbed in the Ashes duel. There's no doubt about that. Should mention Tammy Bobock, congratulations to her. First English woman to score a double century in Test cricket history. So she registered that overnight. We'll take a break. You're listening to the Betfair Edge on this Sunday morning. You can, of course, back or lay test cricket only at Betfair. What's gambling really costing you? We might touch on the fixtures to come in sport over the next 24 hours right after this, including the big clash in the AFL today between Collingwood and Adelaide. Many listeners might be heading to the MCG for that encounter. It should be a beauty. Hopefully it does live up to the hype. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning. We're getting closer to lunchtime, and that means we're getting closer to the footy action today. Damian Watson and Carl Kaldawi both filling in today. Of course, you can back or lay AFL markets exclusive to Betfair. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Now, interested to hear the thoughts, particularly those of people who are driving in. Make sure you pull over when you text, but you can text in 0433981116 your thoughts on who will win the matches today, particularly Collingwood versus Adelaide in the AFL. The other fixture sees the Gold Coast host Hawthorne important game for the Suns, looking to atone for that bad loss to Carlton last week, Carl. But a couple of text messages coming through earlier on. Yeah, I love these text messages, Damo. Uh, Braden here is laying Papley, only kicking two goals in yesterday's pumping of West Coast. <laughs> it's, he, he kicked a couple of behinds as well, but uh, yeah, not not great from Tommy Patlet, Papley. But oh, look, we, we when you have that work. much support goal scoring wise... <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> uh, I like this one from Scotty. You'll probably uh, be able to talk to us about this a little bit, Damo, but uh, he wants to lay people that brag about the size of their superannuation fund. What are your thoughts there, Damo? Never bragged about my super fund, <laughs> Scotty. I just put a bit of emphasis on it because it is important down the track, particularly now with cost of living and everything like Absolutely. that. Because he accuses me of being a very bit of, bit of a frugal character. Nothing. I suppose a lot of people do on this program, Nothing. which is fair enough. In the day and age we live in, you, you have to be a little bit frugal now. Everything costs so much. So, yeah, um, yeah you're just looking after yourself. No, no issue with that demo. Yeah, but I think I'd probably go to extremes. All right. <laughs> Collingwood versus Adelaide today at the MCG. It should be a ripping encounter. Well, hopefully it's a ripping encounter. And we did touch on this and allude to it earlier on, Nick Dacos and the disposal count. I know you're very passionate about disposal predictions. Just yeah. give us an insight. No, I love I love the disposal markets on, on the Betfair Exchange. They uh, open the, the morning of the, the games. Uh, you can find some just fantastic prices there to, to back or lay different selections. And given it's the Betfair Exchange, there's lots of opportunities to, to do different stuff. The, the disposal markets have been really great this year. And what I want to talk about is Nick Dacos, 30 touches. Obviously, a lot of uh, AFL pundits out there argue between whether they think that 
Nick Dacos deserves three votes when he has those 42 touch games because, you know, how 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 much influence is he having on the game? I, I'm someone that thinks that he has massive influences on, on games, especially from half back when he's kicking the football. But he does have games where he, he gets those 27 touches. And um, the reason for my lay of Nick Dacos against Adelaide is the last time that uh, Collingwood played Adelaide, and that was at Adelaide Oval, um, Nick Dacos had 27 touches, but it was probably one of those games where, um, you know, people look at the stats and they think, oh, you know, that's three Brownlow votes or, or something like that. But he really had no influence on the game, and that's because he was tagged out of the game by uh, Ben Keyes. He had 19 kicks in that game with five kickouts and five of his clicks kicks mm. were, were clangers. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Damo. Well, you know why he was reined in is it's basically because last year when they played each other at the Adelaide Oval, Nick Dacos was let off the leash and he was criticised. Well, I think the Crows in general were criticised by a lot of the footy media in mm. particular last year that they didn't pl- basically apply enough pressure on Nick Dacos. And as a consequence, he was probably the difference in that game last year at the Adelaide Oval. So I think this time round or this year, they have been very, very pertinently looking at that point and making sure they nullify his influence. So I've got a question for you, Damo. Do you think that Collingwood's chances of getting be- beaten uh, are enhanced by Nick Dacos getting tagged? No, I think they have enough depth there to cover for him if he is playing a game in which he doesn't have as much influence. That's the great thing about Collingwood. There's enough depth there and they get they have that innate self-belief to win from behind if they are in a precarious position or at least make a game of it as they showed in the King's birthday holiday game against Melbourne. But also the difference between them and a lot of other teams in the competition, they're second-tier players and we see this from a lot of premiership teams. The second-tier players always step up and Collingwood have been doing that. Well, we did see Adelaide fight very hard at Adelaide Oval to try beat Collingwood that game. They didn't quite get over the line there. Collingwood were too strong. But another game I want to talk about, uh, Nick Dacos, was when he copped a tag against Carlton, and obviously Carlton lost that game. A lot of supporters thought they were quite poor. I I agree. Um, What I will say is that I thought Nick Dacos had an incredible second quarter, um, and he was evidently the difference in the end. Mm. Uh, Collingwood got a bit of a lead on. Um, and Carlton couldn't uh, get, resurrect that lead and, and get that back a little bit. Michael Voss sent Ed Kerno to him, and Nick basically had no influence for the rest of the game. So why Collingwood actually still won that game, it's still um, they, they still didn't get away from Carlton and have that massive win. Um, Carlton were able to, to sustain their performance for the rest of the game. They just couldn't get the, the scores on the board. How much of an influence does the changes make on the market in regards to team selection? So Jamie Elliott and Jeremy Howe come back in. Bountiful amounts of experience there. Jeremy Howe, we know how crucial he is from an intercept point of view. How big is that from a Collingwood perspective? Look, I can't I, I can't answer that question from a Collingwood perspective because I haven't seen the, the markets move that, that closely. But I will take you to the Geelong versus Melbourne game on Thursday night. So Clary, uh, Clayton Oliver got ruled out of that game. Mm. Um before that, though, uh, Geelong were actually the $2.16 uh, underdogs to, to win that game. Melbourne um, Melbourne were, were black odds it, it, in that position. At that stage, when Clary got ruled out of the game, uh, Geelong actually took favourite favouritism after that. So, yeah, in that situation, I think players coming in and out, especially on the Betfair Exchange, make a massive difference to the odds. But, yeah... When you get those champion players back in your side, it's certainly not going to hurt your chances of winning. Yeah, exactly right. And what about the Gold Coast v Hawthorne game later on today? The twilight match, a bountiful amount of changes made from a Suns point of view. Brandon Ellis amongst them coming back into the side. 
I wonder how that'll affect their motivation, particularly when you consider they're looking to atone for that bad loss to the Carlton side last week who were under siege themselves. It wasn't a good performance demo by the Gold Coast Suns, but I've loved their season. I've loved their their progression. I think Stuart Jew is doing a, a great job. Hopefully uh, he continues to, to be coaching uh, Gold Coast, but we, we know that there's a lot of pressure on them to, to perform. So, But, yeah, a couple of players I think are going to fire uh, today in, in the disposal markets. I'm looking to back uh, Noah Anderson at, at mm. above his line uh, for the overs. 27 and a half is currently on the Betfair Exchange. Look, he's been around the mark. He's been playing awesome footy. Um, there's been a bit of Brownlow interest in him as well. Gold Coast obviously got thrashed by Carlton last week, but he still finished the game with 27 touches. He hasn't had 30 touches in his last five weeks, but I think he's ready for a big game today. And I'm going to put that on the back of uh, Gold Coast clearance uh, game is obviously very strong. They rank third in, in the AFL for clearances. Obviously, with Matt Rowell as his protege there. Hawthorne, they play today, are ranked 16 in the AFL for clearances per game. So you, you're going to have to say that Noah Anderson and Matt Rowell are going to have big games. The other one I want to talk about is Matt Rowell. Currently, his line is 22.5 disposals. He surprisingly only hit that line 5 of 13 times this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether he can re- replicate some of the efforts that he's produced in recent seasons. We have to wrap things up, Carl, but really appreciate your time and well done filling in too. Hopefully there's more to come. <laughs> Thanks so much, Damon. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. Absolutely. Hope you enjoy the day of sport. Crunch time on some markets in both the AFL and the NRL coming up next on Trackside. Tags is in the house, so stay tuned for that wherever you may be listening from. That has been the Sunday Betfair Edge. Hope you enjoy it.